Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, you good to, glad to be here tonight? I'm looking forward to our time and uh, looking forward to what God's going to do. In 1995 or 1996, uh, there was a song that became famous because of a kid's movie. The kid's movie was Toy Story. The kid's song was the song, You've Got a Friend in Me. How many of you, be honest, how many of you have seen Toy Story? You watched it with your kids or your grandkids. All right. number of us have seen that. And you've heard that song, uh, Randy Newman's song, You've Got a Friend in Me. The song is devoted to describe really the, uh, the lasting friendship that the character Andy, the boy in the, in the story, that he has with, with Woody, the toy in the story. And then it would go, go on to describe the, the friendship between Woody and Buzz Lightyear. And uh, Buzz Lightyear quickly became many people's favorite characters. Uh, I know, remember Dennis growing up, he loved Woody, and then he also fell in love with Buzz Lightyear. And uh, man, I remember him jumping up on the bed as Buzz Lightyear and all that. But that song, You've Got a Friend in Me, it became popular. But you know what? The truth is that that song, it really describes humanity. Say, what do you mean? Everybody is looking for a real friend. Everybody is looking for real relationships. Everybody is looking for uh, a friendship of somebody that will last through anything. Think about it. You can probably think of, excuse me, people in your life who have been there or are there no matter what. Maybe you are married. You think of your spouse as that friend. But even further than that, I know in my life, there are people that I can count on and say, man, they are a real friend. People are looking for someone who challenges them and protects them and someone who encourages them and uplifts them and someone who even corrects them and helps develop them. What I want to say tonight and what we're going to look at is that one of the places where it should be found, true friendship should be found, is in the church. And the church should be a place where people can come and discover real friends. And tonight, for the next, next few minutes, I just want to challenge us with the idea of being a real friend and what that looks like what it means in the 21st century to be a real friend to people within the context of the fellowship of believers. And so tonight we're going to go two passages, Acts 9 and Hebrews 10. But I just want to start in Acts 9 tonight, and then we'll spend the rest of the night in in Hebrews 10. But uh, Acts chapter 9, verse number 17. The story is very familiar. Saul of Tarsus has just trusted Christ as Savior. And here's what takes place. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And putting his hands, Ananias' hands, on him, on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou comest, 
hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received uh, sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received me, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues uh, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound under the chief priest? But Saul, he increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him, but their laying await was known of Saul or known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed or decided to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas... Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and they were multiplied. I love the story of uh, the conversion of Paul, Saul of Tarsus. But Tonight, I don't want to focus so much in on the conversion of, of Saul, the, his coming to know Christ. I really want to focus in on the fact that God used people to shape Paul's faith. God used people to come alongside Saul and be a real friend in time of need. And what we're going to get at tonight is what we're, where we're going to end is the fact that God is still looking for believers to be used in the life of other Pauls to help shape their faith. God wants to use us as real friends in people's lives who are just coming to know Christ. And so tonight we're going to talk about that topic, the idea of us being able to say, hey, you've got a friend in me. And I think it'll be a help and an encouragement. So let's pray, and then we'll get right into the Word of God. Lord, thank you for your Word. I want to thank you, God, for the challenge before us tonight. Lord, I just want to come and I want to humble my heart before you. And I want to pray, God, that you would use me. I want to pray that you would fill me with your spirit. I want to pray that the words that I say tonight would be your words and not mine. I want to ask, Lord, that you'd help us to leave encouraged and challenged with just using our life to invest in other people. We love you, Lord. Thanks for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you go to Acts 9, of course, <clears throat> we won't read the entire story, but we know the account 
of when, uh, when Saul was traveling to Damascus and the Lord appeared to him and, uh, you know, why, why are you kicking against me? Why are you continuing to persecute uh, my name? And of course, Saul, well, who are you, Lord? And, and says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one whom thou persecutest. And Saul receives Christ and then gets into Damascus. And God tells Ananias, I want to use you to go before Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias, he uh, hesitantly says to, to God, like, God, this is Saul. He's come to kill us. Are you sure you know what you're doing? And isn't it interesting that we will condemn characters in Scripture for their lack of faith, but you and I do the same thing. There's times in our life when God says, hey, I want you to take this step. And we say, God, are you sure about what you're doing? Uh, I can remember when Hannah and I were praying about starting a church. And, uh, you know, God had really laid that on our heart. We began to pray and look that direction. And I remember sitting at a Red Lobster one night in, in Tacoma and us pulling out a sheet of paper and on one side writing the pros and the other side writing the cons and trying to figure it out. And it was 50-50. There was the same amount of pros as there was cons. And I remember like, well, that's not going to help us. You know, we're, we're going through all of these things. And I remember just coming to the place where we both prayed. And I just was like, God, are you sure this is what you want us to do? And, and there was that doubt in our heart. And so before we condemn maybe an Ananias of saying, God, are you sure? We need to realize that there's times in our lives that we do that. Just a side thought tonight. But Ananias, he goes and he begins investing in Saul of Tarsus. Well, then the word of God tells us that a few verses later that Saul is drawn close to the disciples or the believers in Damascus. They invest in him. And a few verses later, it highlights again that the people of Damascus invest in him. And then he goes all the way to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he, he tries to join with the apostles, but they don't believe it. And then there's one man, verse number 27, Barnabas. And Barnabas, he's the, the son of encouragement, this man that comes alongside and, and encourages Paul and uh, disciples him and then takes him to uh, the apostles and says, hey, this is legit. He is for real. And then you can go to verse number 28 and you can find that the believers at Jerusalem, they too invest in Saul of Tarsus. And then verse number 30, when Saul goes to Caesarea, I believe that even Philip who is then pastoring in Caesarea, Philip would invest in Saul of Tarsus. So all of these different people, and I have them listed for us tonight, all of these different people, they use their life to invest. This is right after he gets saved. All of them invest in Saul's life. The point I want to make just by looking at this passage is that all along the way in Saul's new journey with Christ, God continually brought people to him to befriend him. God continually brought people to him to invest in him. And the Bible specifically says this in verse 19 and 22, that Saul received strength because of these people. I believe he was strengthened, we know physically for sure, but I believe he was strengthened spiritually and emotionally. I believe Saul was strengthened in his own development of the newfound faith that he was in. You see, because Saul was a persecutor of the church, he wasn't a proponent for it. He wasn't one uh, to preach the church or, or to preach Christ. He was, he was one that didn't really know everything except for uh, the, the claims that were being made. And so during these days, we need to know that there's a lot of growth that took place in the life of Saul. Well, 
Who did God use to do this? God used other believers. Saul was helped by other Christians. And I just want to highlight this tonight that this is still God's plan. It's still God's plan for today. God's plan is that believers would befriend and be the best friends of other believers. It's said this way in 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul would later write this to Timothy. And he says this, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We use this verse often to describe what's called discipleship. But really, discipleship is not a curriculum. Discipleship is building a relationship and investing Jesus into people around us. Did you know that discipleship is not something that is done by uh, just the pastor and the staff? I'll tell you right now that our church, many individuals of our church, play a role in my discipleship. I'm still being discipled. What do you mean, pastor? You sit down every week and somebody walks you through a book? No, no, I'm still growing in my faith because of my friends in the faith. Does that that make sense tonight? And that's still God's desire. He wants every one of us to have friends that are sharpening and helping develop our faith. But then I think sometimes we, we lose sight that God wants to use us to disciple and develop and help grow the faith of others simply, not not by walking through a curriculum, not by doing a bunch of things, but simply by just being a real friend. And so tonight, I want to encourage you to live out what I've titled Funnel Christianity, Not Sponge Christianity. I've I've used that statement multiple times at our church. Be a funnel Christian, not a sponge Christian. Well, what's the difference? Well, a funnel Christian allows God to flow through them to others. A sponge Christian just soaks it all up. I'm thankful tonight that when you and I read Acts chapter number nine, when when we read about Ananias, the believers at Damascus, about Barnabas, and about the believers in Jerusalem, I'm glad that they did not live sponge faith. Why? Because then, who knows what we would be reading about Paul. But God used people to invest in his life. So for the next few minutes, I want us to go to a familiar passage in Hebrews chapter 10. And I want us to gain some thoughts and some key thoughts that I believe will help us use our life to invest in other people. Some keys to being able to say to others, no matter what's going on, You've got a friend in me. Familiar portion of scripture, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Notice what the word of God says. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I want to say tonight, if we're going to invest in others from this passage, we must first consider others. If we're going to invest in others, we must first 
consider others. And if you have a handout, that's point blank or point number one. Uh, man, we've got to consider others. <clears throat> Here's the thought. If we aren't careful, all too often in our Christian life, we can become solely focused upon ourselves. And I'm not just referring to a prideful inward focus. I mean this, that in our Christian life, often we become consumed with our own Christian growth and our own Christian experience. We become consumed in such a way that we focus completely on our growth and we forget about people. Now, the truth is that, well, I'll ask you the question. Are every single one of us responsible for our own growth in the Lord? It's not a trick question. The an- yeah, the answer would be yes. When I stand before God and, and God begins to talk with me, now we know that God's not going to judge us upon our, our, uh, um, our actions and, and whether we were good and, and deserve his holiness or not. No, once we receive Christ as our Savior, man, our we, we know that Jesus Christ took that judgment and he sees his son. So we're not going to be judged on the good and the bad. We're going to be judged as Christians. The word of God teaches this. We're going to be judged on how we stewarded our life. Did you use your life for me? Well, when I get to heaven and God begins to uh, call into account my stewardship, I'm not going to be able to, I'm, I'm not going to stand there and be able to say, well, God, um, you know, I would, have, I would have stewarded my life better. Um, but God, my wife said one thing to me one time and, and it, it, it caused me not to want to grow. God, I, I, I didn't grow in you. I didn't steward my time because, I mean, God, my kids were headaches at times. And God, I, I, I knew I, I should have gotten up and stewarded my time and read the word, but I just needed sleep. So God, I, you know what? I'm not going to be able to stand before God and blame everybody else for my lack of growth, right? For the stewardship of the mishandling of my own growth. No, we know that. We're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of how we stewarded our own growth. So it's not a sin to focus on our own growth, but I believe it becomes a distraction when we focus solely upon our own growth. The word consider in this passage, when it says to consider others, it means to fully observe or think upon attentively or to think upon with how to give attention to. So here's what the the author of Hebrews is saying in Hebrews 10.25, let us consider one another. Hey, as you and I travel through life, one of the best ways that we know uh, to help ourselves be uh, one who invests in others is by understanding Christianity is not an island unto itself. My Christianity is not to be an island unto myself. Man, my Christianity is to be something that not only affects me, but it affects those, or I need to consider those around me. I need to get my focus off of just my own growth, but begin thinking, God, how can you use my life to help others grow? We need to begin living with our eyes, not only upon our own growth, but looking to others and desiring to encourage and help others grow as well. The first thought tonight, if we're going to invest in others, we must first consider others. 
Secondly, we must provoke others. We must provoke others. We must consider, think about, but then determine to provoke. The word provoke, it means to incite, to stir up, or to inspire. I must think about others, but then I must be determined to want to inspire others, want to provoke others, want to stir up others. During the time of this writing, of course, many of the believers would be undergoing a lot of persecution. And because of that, there was a lot of Christians, and we'll see this again in just a second, who were stepping away from other Christians. They were stepping away, if I can say it this way, they were stepping away from uh, um, growing in their faith. They were stepping away from fellowship with others who were facing the same challenges. And here the writer writes to them, hey, think about other people around you, but then determine to have an attitude that says, I want to inspire others around me. I want to incite development in others around me. Well, provoke them to what? Notice the verse. Provoke them to love and to good works. I want to inspire other believers to more love and to good works. The thought here from the author is, hey, go ahead and get your focus off of yourself and have a desire to provoke other people in growing in their love and provoking them in growing in good works. This means giving thought to how I encourage other believers around me, having the mindset of what can I do to to help others love God in a deeper way. I think this definitely applies to the times that we uh, know we're going to be around other believers, like at church, that when I come to church, I shouldn't uh, just sit. I should want to be a part and inspire others to be a part. But I think it also applies to not only just the church service, but my development in my Christian life, that I should have a desire that I'm going to let my growth be something that provokes growth in somebody else, not because it's a competition, but because they see the joy that I have serving, and they see the love that I have for the Lord, and they see Uh, the development that's taking place in my life, not because I'm doing it for the viewership of others, but I want my life to be something that motivates them to say, hey, I want what he has. Hey, I want what she has. Man, I I notice them faithful to church. I want to step up in my faith. Man, I want to. It's just something that provokes. As I daily live out my Christianity, the investment I'm going to make is helping others develop a desire to grow just like I am. And so we've got to, if we're going to invest in others, we've got to consider others, we've got to provoke others, but then also we've got to be faithful to others. Be faithful to other believers. Notice the next verse, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Simply put, don't forsake the church as others are already doing. Instead, stay and be a part. Stating, uh, I said it just a second ago, stated the fact that many believers were, <clears throat> excuse me, were facing persecution. And um, if you think about it, when, when you would be facing persecution, when you would be uh, going through that persecution and facing the challenges because of being a Christian, if you knew that if I just stopped going to church, 
If I stopped living in outward Christianity, all the persecution would stop. There would be a big temptation to say, I'm going to stop. Wouldn't there? There'd be a big, a big temptation to say, man, if that's all it takes, just not identifying with them, then I'm not going to go anymore. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. There are some that they have forsaken the assembly. They aren't gathering together anymore. They aren't developing anymore. They aren't growing anymore. They aren't serving anymore. No, the manner of some, what some have done is they, they've just stepped away. Paul says that, or the, the author of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, uh, he says, don't do that. Don't forsake the assembly together. No, why? We need to be faithful to the assembly. Being, being faithful to the assembly it's going to help us in so many ways. I think about the faithfulness of, of the Lord, or excuse me, the faithfulness of the believer in church. When you and I gather with other believers, it plays an important role in the lives of other Christians. When I'm gathering with other believers, when I'm faithful to his people, it plays a role in their life. Think about this. When, when we're faithful to, to the Lord's house, faithful to other Christians, when they're faithful, we find encouragement. And I don't know about you, but uh, those of you that were here on Sunday, uh, man, Sunday, seeing the church just full and faces that have been out of church for a while came back and new people and seeing answered prayer. Man, Sunday, I left encouraged. And every service, I, I don't know if you're like me, every service when people are here, I'm encouraged by their presence. Man, when you and I are faithful to church, we find encouragement. We find correction. We can find empathy. We can find counsel. We can find accountability and challenge. And uh, we find worship that draws our heart to God. We can find uh, joy and friendship and a, a Christ-likeness developing in our life and in others. We find hope and healing and commitment and strength and comfort. And really, the list goes on of all of the positives of gathering together with God's people. And so we need to understand that as a Christian, one of the best ways for me to invest in others is by just staying faithful to the Lord, staying faithful with gathering with other believers. Just recently, I, I could not remember, I couldn't find it, but I was either listening to a, a message or I read it in one of the books I'm reading, but I, I came across a story about a, a missionary from a communist country who was here in the United States and he was asked by a pastor here in the U.S. this question. He was asked this question, how do you get, in your country, how do you get lukewarm followers to become fully committed faithful followers? That missionary, he stopped for a moment and contemplatively, you know, was just thinking. And his reply to that pastor was something like this. Pastor in our country People pay an incredibly high price for being a follower of Jesus. They can lose their homes, their families, their friends, and even their lives. And since there is such a cost, there is no choice but to live a radically different life. Pastor, in our country, we don't have lukewarm followers. You either follow him or you don't. And I, I remember hearing that as, I, as I'm pretty sure it was in the book, one of the books I'm, I'm listening to. And I remember hearing that thinking, man, how many Christians need to hear that? Because in America, we have a lot of lukewarm followers. 
And I say tonight, we as a believer, we should have the mindset of God, help me not to ever want to be a lukewarm follower. Help me to stay faithful. Why? Because God uses our faithfulness. One of the reasons God uses our faithfulness to encourage and to invest in other believers. Got to be faithful to others. Lastly tonight, we've got to exhort others. If we're going to invest into others, we must first consider others, provoke others, be faithful to others, but then lastly, exhort others. And this is where I really wanted to end up tonight. This is kind of the, the thought that the whole message started with. And that's that second part of verse number 25 when the author writes this, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The word exhort, it's an interesting definition. The word exhort, it means to call near with the intention of being leaned upon. We take all the words that uh, define this Greek word that's used here for the word exhort. It means to call near with the intention of being leaned upon. This is the idea of urging someone to be close to you so that you can lean on them and they can lean on you. Uh, Let's see, Micah, come up here real quick. You ever, uh, you ever been walking uh, or, or maybe, maybe climbing something and not, not necessarily mountain climbing, but just going through maybe uh, walking somewhere and you ever been with somebody, maybe a friend when you're a little kid and, and you did the arm thing, put your arm around my shoulder. You ever done that, did the arm thing? And you know, when you're, when you're a kid and you're doing that, that's like, that's like a friend thing, right? I mean, you, you, when, you, when you can do this at the re- on the playground, you know you're close, you know what, the, the definition that's here to exhort, here's what, here's what it would mean. Hey, Micah, you're traveling through life. I'm traveling through life. Hey, Micah, come here. Micah, come here. Micah, come here. Come here. Come here. Let's do life together. Hey, Micah, let's, let's do life together. You know what's going to happen if two people are walking like this? If I start to fall, you know what I can do? I can lean into him. If he starts to fall, you know what he can do? He can lean into me. It has the idea of, hey, I'm going to use my, don't miss this, it's such a cool point. I'm gonna use my life to draw you in so that I can invest in you and you're using your life to draw me in so that you can invest in me. That's that phrase. But exhorting one another, drawing in with the intention of leaning upon and then notice what it says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, that phrase, so much the more as you see the day approaching, it really applies to all of the thoughts that lead up, even before this, verse 22, 23, all of them kind of go together. But I think this is such a cool thing. The Lord knew that as time continues on, the devil's going to fight hard to distract believers and to discourage believers and to get people away from church. And listen, 2020 was the year where the devil fought hard, didn't he? You know what Christians need? They need me and you to say, hey, draw near. Draw near, I want to encourage you. Draw near, I want to invest in you. And him saying vice versa. You know why? Because then as we go through life, now we're, now we're, traveling, through, now we're traveling through this Christian life together, investing in each other. And then you know what happens? 
when we're doing this, John 13, 30, uh, John 13, 34, and 35 is coming to life. What is John 13, 34, and 35? By this, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Thanks. You know what? In, in your life and in my life, the fact of the matter is that we need Christians. We need each other. And I want to say this tonight. Don't live a Christian life that is consumed with just your personal growth. Don't neglect. Don't neglect the fellowship, the fellowship, and the encouragement of others. One man said it this way about this passage. He said, it's interesting to note that the emphasis here is not on what a believer gets from the assembly, but rather on what he can contribute to the assembly. I wonder tonight, in your life and in mine, who are you considering? Who are you provoking forward? Who are you blessing because of your faithfulness? Who are you encouraging or exhorting in their growth? For our church family, I want to ask you this. How many of you have noticed a lot of new faces lately? If you're in our church, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but we've seen a lot of new faces We've seen a lot of people returning to church after COVID and being out. We're still going to have more come that I hope come back. But a lot of the new faces that we've seen, they're not only new to church, new to our church. Many of those new faces are, are new to the Lord. And some even here tonight. And what I want to encourage you with is don't just come to church and occupy a seat. Come to church, and if I can say it this way, be the church. The church says, I'm involved, I'm engaged, I'm investing, I'm exhorting, I'm drawing you near so that I can lean on you and you can lean on me. You know what some of these new believers need? They need us as church, as the church to say, hey, we're in this together. Oh, it's not, hey, can we sit down and do a book study? Now, that might come, but it's, hey, I just want to tell you I'm praying for you this week. Hey, I want to encourage you. Hey, I didn't see you Thursday. Hey, I didn't see you Sunday morning. Hey, I'm going on outreach this week. You want to go with me? Hey, why don't you just get get a cup of coffee this week and just spend some time praying? And there's so many ways that you and I can draw near and catch the, the thought that the author is getting out of, hey, consider one another. Provoke to good works, be faithful to the assembly, but under it all is this exhortation. I need you and you need me. And then people, this is where John comes in, people see it. And a lost world sees the love that believers has towards each other. And they say, man, I want that. Why? Because everybody's looking for that real friend. Can't tell you how many people we've had over the years, and you've heard it too, How many people say, man, I'm closer to my church family than I am my actual family? 
You know why? It's because the church should be the place that's filled with real friends. So I want to challenge us tonight. Will you decide to invest in the lives of others? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.